one of the first and most obvious reasons why we pray is because prayer is God's idea. Amen? Amen. Prayer is something that God had ordained. As a matter of fact, it's the divine appointment that comes from heaven in order for God to fulfill his purposes, in order to carry out his will on this earth. And so prayer is a very wonderful thing. Prayer is a very important thing. And my prayer tonight is to encourage you to pray more. My, my goal in my prayer tonight is to help you to increase the level of fervency and the level of earnestness in your prayer time and in your prayer life. Amen. If you've not been praying as much, I think tonight I want to hope and pray that this will help you to encourage you and to stir up that spirit of prayer inside of you so that you can pray and pray and continue to pray. Amen. How many of you know that God is looking for marathon prayer warriors and not sprinters? Yeah, you can break a record with 440, 4 minutes and 40 seconds, but that doesn't work in prayer. God is looking for someone who's going to go the distance when it comes to prayer. One hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, seven hours, eight hours, 24 hours. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to become marathon runners when it comes to prayer? And that's what we want to encourage you to do tonight. There's a gentleman by the name of Evan Roberts, a very unassuming man. And then I shared this with the prayer group uh, last Tuesday, but I get excited because of reading about him. And this man was, uh, and as I said, he was an unassuming man. He was a coal miner, a young man, but he loved God and he had heart for prayer. And as a matter of fact, he was known for a kind of over-spiritualizing things. And so he was known as the mystical lunatic. How many of you like to be known as a mystical lunatic in your neighborhood? But God chose and used this mystical lunatic to start a great revival in Wales. Have you heard of the, the Welsh revival in 1904 and 1905? Yeah. This revival began in 1904 of November, and it lasted for nine months into 1905. And it is said that over 100,000 people were saved as a result of that revival. And it all started with a simple a man that was simple enough just to pray. You see, this man had a heart for God, but he had a heart to bring revival to his country. He would pray continuously. As a matter of fact, it is said that he would get up at 1 o'clock every morning and pray till 5 o'clock in the morning and then go back to bed for four hours and then get back up at 9 o'clock and continue praying and studying the Word. And it was because of this fervency of prayer that he had. And for 13 years, he prayed that God will send the Holy Spirit to, to sweep the land of Wales, or the country of Wales, and touch every life. And so one night, he was in a church, and he began to pray. And he said these prayers. He said, bend me, bend me, O Lord, bend us. And it was a prayer of commitment, a prayer of surrender, because he wanted to be used of God. And about a month later, he started a service which started a fire throughout the country. Prostitutes began holding Bible studies. Ballrooms were closed down. Men that spend more time in the taverns and less time with their family began to spend more time with their family and less time in the taverns. As a matter of fact, the taverns had to shut down because they were losing business. Political rallies were closed. Sporting events and, and casinos were closed down. Coal miners would line up and go to church, and, and, and the services would go on for hours and sometimes way into the night and sometimes all night. And then when that time is over, as they leave, you have a whole line of people outside waiting to, for, to, to attend the second service or the next service the next day. And it was like that for nine months. As a matter of fact, it affected the entire world. Because the following year, in 1906, a revival started in Southern California called the Azusa Street Revival. And so it was all because one man prayed earnestly and fervently. And it didn't matter how many hours he spent because he wanted to bring revival in the land. Amen. Amen. So that's where I want to be. That's where I want to take you. So tonight we're going to look at some of the scriptures. One of the other reasons why we pray is simply because God commands it. Go to Luke chapter 18, a very familiar passage of scripture. Praise the name of Jesus. In the words of Jesus himself, in Luke 18 in verse 1, he says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, 
that men are always to pray and not to faint. The fact that he says men are always to pray tells us that we're to always pray. He didn't say that men are to sometimes pray. He didn't say that men should pray once a week, once every month. He says always to pray. What does always mean? It means always, all the time. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 says this. Paul writes, I I exhort therefore that first of all, above everything else, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Hallelujah. Now go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 12. The fact that God commands prayer, I mean, first of all, he ordained it, so he must command it. Amen? And God commands all believers to pray always. To not pray is a disobedience to God's command. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, the children of Israel had made a decision to choose a man to be a king over them and to rule over them rather than God. And when they realized the mistake that they made, they begged Samuel to pray for them because they were fearful of God's anger. And in verse 23 of chapter 12 of 1 Samuel, it says this, and I'll read this from the NLA version. It says, as for me, Samuel says, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. Samuel felt that if he didn't pray for them, even though he didn't agree with their decision, he felt that if he did not pray, it would be a failure on his part. And it would be an outright disobedience to God. It is our responsibility to pray for all men. And it doesn't matter if we agree with their decision making. It doesn't matter if we agree with their behavior. It doesn't matter if we agree with whatever choices they've made in their life. We should never stop praying for them. Keep this in mind. When you're praying for somebody, understand that you're praying for someone that Christ died and paid a price for. And so when we pray for someone, we have to keep this in mind. Christ gave his life and shed his blood for this individual. So I'm going to pray for that person. As a matter of fact, if you can imagine when you pray, when you're praying for someone, imagine yourself taking that person that you're praying with or praying for, taking that person by the hand and leading him personally before the Lord God himself and placing him at the feet of Lord God Almighty. That's what you're doing when you're praying for somebody. You're trying to bring that person to the very place where God dwells. And so I want you to always imagine yourself doing that when you're praying for someone. (laughs) As I said before, it is our responsibility to pray. Prayer should be made to all men. And prayers should be made continuously. Luke 18, 1, Jesus said, men are always to pray and not faint. Another translation means not quit or not give up. As I said before, God is looking for marathon prayer warriors. Someone's going to go the distance. Someone who's going to have an attitude of continuous, nonstop, I'm not going to quit until my prayers are answered type of attitude. That's the kind of prayer attitude we need to have. I think sometimes we tend to be a little too weak and become spiritual wimps when it comes to our prayer life. Sometimes when we're praying, God is trying to get us even further. But then we stop or get distracted or we hear other voices. Rather than spending time and praying and not giving up and not quitting. Go with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. I shared this last night with the prayer group and I really get a sense uh, of, of sharing this with you tonight. There are some of you here that have been praying for somebody or praying for something. And you've prayed for a long time and you've not seen any results. You've not seen any changes, whether it's a circumstance or whether it's for somebody. And you've probably reached a point in your life where, you know, I'm tired of praying for these people. I'm tired of saying the same prayer all the time. I'm, trying, I'm tired of praying and praying and not seeing any results. Let me tell you this tonight. Let me share this with you. If you've stopped praying, 
You need to go back into your closet, get back down on your knees, and continue to pray. Listen to me. Christ shed his blood for that individual. And just because you don't see results does not mean that God is not going to answer your prayers. It just means that you just need to pray even more. It just means that you need to press in. It means that you just have to have this doggone attitude where I'm not going to quit until I see the results. In, eight, in, in Luke 18, 1, Jesus talked and taught about the parable of the persistent widow woman. And you know the story. The widow woman had a need. And he went before the, she went before the king constantly. She never stopped. She continued. And even though the king had no regards to her, even, the king, even though the king didn't have any respect for God, but yet the king granted her wishes simply because she was persistent. We need to do the same thing. We need to be like that persistent widow woman to pray and continue to pray. You know, to stop praying is a message to God saying, Lord, you can't do this. Lord, I prayed and I prayed, and I've seen no results, so apparently you don't want to do this. Don't be like that. Get back in your knees. Pick up where you left off and continue to pray with fervency and with earnestness more than you've ever had before. Amen. Romans 12, 12 says this. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and continuing instant in prayer. The message translation says it like this. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Hallelujah. E.M. Bounds, one of the great 19th century preachers, uh, made this statement. He says, talking to men for God is great. But talking to God for man is greater. Hallelujah. Another reason why we pray is because prayer changes things. Amen. Prayer makes a difference because it brings into play all of the forces of heaven and the entire angelic host into the scene. Go with me to James chapter 5. John Wesley made a very interesting comment. He says this, it seems that God is limited by our prayer life, that he can do nothing for humanity unless someone asks him. And I, I, I tend to think that's true. James chapter 4 verse 2 says, you have not because you ask not. Jesus himself tells us that we are to ask and we shall receive. If we don't ask, then we can't receive. If we don't seek, then we can't find. If we don't knock, then it won't be opened unto us. So it's an interesting statement that Wesley made because he said God is limited by our prayer life. So in other words, the, 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 the less we pray the less God can do. The more we pray, the more God can do. That's pretty much what he's saying. But in James chapter 5, verse 16, he says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Think about that. If you're a righteous man or a righteous woman in this room, your effectual prayer will make a difference. That's what that scripture is saying. And I like the fact that he chose Elijah as an example. And he said that Elijah is just like anybody else. He's just an ordinary individual just like you and I. But when he prayed, the Bible says, in verse 17, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And guess what? It didn't rain for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, asking God, Lord, bring the rain. And the Bible says, in the sky poured rain into the earth, bringing forth and producing fruit upon the earth. So prayer opens up the limitless resources or storehouse from heaven. Your prayers opens up the windows of heaven, bringing down all the resources and all the provisions and the entire Godhead and the entire angelic host to produce prayers that will be answered. James 1.5 says, does any man lack wisdom? It says, let him ask of God, who gives liberally, bountifully, and ungrudgingly. And he says this, well, I'm getting ahead of myself now. Let me slow down. Go to Acts chapter 12. So prayer 
not only brings strength and wealth from heaven to assist us, opening up all the resources and making it available to us, but prayer will change the world, shape the world, shape the hearts of men, change circumstances, and even alter the plans of the devil in your life. Do you believe that? Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now about the time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. In other words, he was persecuting the church. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. Then he goes on to say, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of the unleavened bread, but when he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people in order to execute him. So he saw this as a political uh, move to up his career. He says, wow, if I, if I gain popularity by executing James, I'm going to be even more popular if I do the same for Peter. Listen to what verse 5 says. So Peter was kept in the prison. Say that with me. So Peter was kept in the prison. Where was Peter? In the prison. Where was he kept? In prison. And he was chained between two guards. But prayer stopped there. How many of you have heard the words, I love you, but I don't like you using the dishes in the sink. <laughs> or, I love you, but I just can't stand the way you snore. <laughs> or, I love your dress, but I don't think it looks good on you. The fact that the word but completely negates the very first thing you said, because what would be the thing that you hear the most? The second part or the first part? When, when your spouse says, honey, I love you, but I think your meatloaf is not that great. <laughs> what part of that do you hear? The I love you part or the fact that the meat was not good? And see, that's what the word but does. It completely negates what you said before. And after the, word, after the words that you say after the but, that's what you hear the most. It completely negates everything you said in the first sentence. So if you say, I love you, but, it doesn't even remember the love you. It just completely negates it. In verse 5, it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but prayer. Hallelujah. But prayer completely negates the fact that Peter was in prison. Hallelujah. Because it says here, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. <laughs> Glory to God. And it goes on to say, and on the very night... When Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and guards in front of the door, and were watching over the prison. Verse 7, and behold, here we go, the forces of heaven are coming down to rescue Peter. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, get up quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Glory to God. And then the angel said to them, Gird yourself up and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And I like verse 9. He says, And he went out and continued to follow the angel. And Peter did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Imagine going through all of that and then realizing this isn't real. This is a vision. This is a dream. This is not real. It wasn't until they got outside the gate when you realized, wow, this is real. But it was because of the prayer of the saints that called down the forces of, of heaven in the form of an angel to release him from prison and from between those two guards, undetected, glory to God, and released him and rescued him. So prayer makes a difference because it brings into play all the forces of heaven on the earth. Listen. The people that you're praying for, they may turn down your efforts. They may not listen to your message. They may despise what you say. They may ridicule you. They may ignore you. But let me just say this. 
when it comes to prayer, they're helpless against your prayers. There's nothing they can do against your prayers. Because your prayers are going to God. And you're ushering the very forces of heaven to come down and make a difference in that person's life. That's what prayer does. Hallelujah. So listen, if I'm praying for you, you may not like me. You may not agree with me. You may not like what I say to you. You may not like the fact that I'm praying for you. You may not like my theological, my theology. I don't care. I'm going to pray for you regardless because this is between me and God. That's the attitude you need to have when it comes to praying for somebody. Amen. Go to Colossians chapter 4. Prayer opens doors where doors don't exist. Colossians chapter 4. Paul writes to the Colossian church in chapter 4 in verse 2. Beginning of verse 2, he says, devote yourself to prayer. In other words, make it your life, make it your livelihood to pray every day of your life. He says, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And in verse 3, he says this, praying at the same time for us as well. That God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So Paul was encouraging them to devote themselves to prayer but at the same time he's saying pray for us also. That God will open up a door. The door represents an opportunity, a passage, a way to get in. And he says that God will open up the door for me to bring the gospel. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And in verse 12, Paul says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. Hallelujah. He says something similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 in verses 8 and 9 where he says, But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. So God is able to open up doors where there is no doors. Understand that we're serving a God that can call those things that be not as though they were. Who can make a way where there is no way. Who can make a crooked path straight. And he can open doors where there are no doors open. Hallelujah. But it's through prayer that open doors. It's through prayer that God causes God to call those things that be not as though they were. So we are to have an attitude of continuous, nonstop. I'm not going to quit until I see my answer. Attitude. And it begins by making prayer a top priority in your life. Go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, Jesus himself made prayer a priority. If there ever was an example of a prayer warrior, Jesus was that. Beginning in verse 29, and immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was laying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. Now, verse 32. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. This was at Peter's house. And he healed many who were ill with virus diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And after he'd done all of that, he finally went to sleep. And it must have been very late. And in verse 35, it says this. In the early morning, while, I was still, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Jesus made prayer a priority. The first thing he did when he woke up was to find a place to pray. He made uh, prayer a priority over sleep because I'm sure that he could have slept in and, and, and probably got a little more rest because of whatever God has for him that day. 
But he even prioritized prayer over sleep. He even prioritized prayer over breakfast. Some of us want to get up in the morning and have a breakfast and read a paper and maybe read a, a chapter in the verse and have a quick one of them sprinter-like prayers. You know, that, if that's your prayer life, then you need to change that. You need to be able to get, take it to another level. Raise the bar in your prayer life. And don't be afraid to get up early in the morning and pray because it'll be worth your while. Jesus prioritized prayer over everything. And it's interesting how he got up even before the roosters got up. Now, that's interesting. He even got up before the roosters, so you know it was quite early. But only because he had a purpose to pray. See, because he was devoted to a life of prayer. He needed, even Jesus needed guidance and direction. Wouldn't you agree? So almost everybody, it's interesting because Jesus didn't wait till there was a crisis before he decided to make prayer a priority. There are many Christians today that wait till they get to their Gethsemane before they decide to make prayer a priority in their lives. There are sometimes Christians will allow themselves to come to a place where they become desperate or their backs are to the wall when they finally make prayer a priority. Prayer, Jesus says, should be made all the time. Whether the good times and the bad times, through rough times and through good times. We have to pray always, at all times, in every situation. We don't wait for things to happen to decide to pray. We pray in preparation for anything that may come our way so that we can be ready and prepared for what the devil has against us. Amen? We need to just be prayed up. Colossians 1.9 says this, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That was Paul who made it his livelihood to pray always for the saints. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and 11, he says this, Wherefore also we pray always for you, always, not when things are going bad, not when you're in a crisis, but always for you, that our God will count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith and power, with power. I love that prayer. Therefore, we are, pray, we are called to pray continuously and persistently, always in all circumstances, whether good or challenging, during peaceful time and during times of turmoil. We are never to stop praying. Now, if you're still in Mark chapter 1, we pray also so that we can know the perfect will of God. In Mark 35, uh, chapter 1, in verse 35, where Jesus got up early in the morning while it was still dark, and Jesus got up and left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And in verse 36, Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now, we can understand why Jesus got away alone, away from the noise, away from all the voices that are pulling him in many different directions, and away from the distractions. And when the disciples finally slept in and, and got up and started looking for Jesus, him and his companions found him and says, there are people looking for you. The implication here is there are still more needs to be met, Jesus. Come on, and let's meet those needs. Let's meet the needs of those people that have been looking for you. Let's imagine that Jesus decided, okay, you know what, let's do that. Let's finish what we started. And he went down and began to pray and minister to the people, bringing healing and salvation. That would not be a bad thing, would it? That would have been a good thing. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the people would have loved him for that. He says, what a great man of God. What a man who really cares. He's just a man of compassion. He just loved people. He cares about us. He took the time to pray for us. What a wonderful man. Because he did a good thing. But his good thing should have been his best thing. Because the best thing is to seek the will of God. Sometimes we get distracted by the good things in order to prevent us from doing what's the best thing. And the best thing is the will of God. If you go back in verse 38, 
when the disciple says, everyone is looking for you, Jesus, there are people that still have needs. There are still people that are sick. There are still people that have, uh, have demons. Jesus said this, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. Jesus was praying the will of God. He was seeking God's agenda and not man's agenda. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to speak to? Where do you want me to go? And when the disciples found him and says, Jesus, there are people here that have needs. That's true. And that would be a good thing. But I want to do the best thing. I want to do God's will. And so that's what he did. And in verse 39, it says, and he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. Jesus wanted to do the will of God. And he spent time in prayer alone seeking the will of God, seeking God's agenda. Many times we're, we're as Christians, we, we get this idea where we think that we need God to do our will. We seem to think that we have this idea of prayer when it comes to prayer that God should be serving us when it should be the other way around. We pray to see God's will so we can be of his service and so that he can produce whatever power, whatever anointing that we need to carry out his will. You see, prayer is an instrument for change, but God is the force behind the change. God is the force, or, the, or, or, or there's another word that I wanted to use, but he is the force that brings about change. Yes, yeah, so the enforcer, exactly. But we need to change our attitude because that's not what we're here to do. We're not here so that God can do our will. We're here to do God's will. But to do that, we need to seek him. But we need to eliminate all of the voices and all of the distractions and learn to get away alone just so you can hear the only voice that really matters. He says, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. He already received the agenda that God had for him that day. So even Jesus needed direction and guidance. So the true purpose of prayer is to stay in touch with God in such a way to develop an intimate relationship with him so that we can know and understand his will. I've been married for 29 years, going on 30 years. And I have an intimate relationship with my wife. I know everything about her. She knows everything about me. I cannot get away with anything. I, I, I'm a prankster. I used to be until my wife tamed me. Because I can't fool her anymore. Because she knows me. Even if I try to keep a straight face, she already knows that there's a joke coming. So I can't put nothing over her. But that's because of the intimate relationship that we share. We know each other. We, I know when she's angry. I know when she's sad. She knows when things are bothering me. We don't have to exchange words. It's just the fact that we know each other so well that we can read each other. That's the kind of relationship that God has for us. And that's what he desires for us to have with him. Because the only way to get to know his will is to be able to get to know him in an intimate way. This way we can recognize his voice and recognize the direction that he's leading us. He wants to take us places. He wants to direct us. He wants to guide us. He wants to order our steps. But we need to have an intimate relationship with him. We need to stay in touch and stay in tune with God. Jesus stayed in tune with God. And God was able to set his path. And he was able to not depart from that path. Because Jesus says, I come to do the will of my father. He was determined to do what God said and not what other people say. So God is not our servant. To have a right attitude for prayer, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, take no thought for your life, what you should eat, what you should drink, what you should wear. The attitude here is this. Rather than focusing on what you want and what you need, he says in, in, in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of the things that you're concerned about, all of the things that you're hoping for, all of the things that you want and need, 
will be added to you when you make prayer a priority and seeking God first. That's a principle that works. And that's an attitude, that, that's the kind of attitude that we need to pray. Rather than focusing, and you know what, there's nothing wrong with asking God for needs. But when we are consumed with asking God for everything, Lord, I need this, Lord, I need that. Lord, do this for me. And when you're done with that, please do this. And then this. And then that. And then when you're done with that, come and see me. And I got more things that I need you to do. That's not what God is about. Yes, we are to ask. And he says, we shall receive. We are to seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And everything else that we need. The Bible says he already knows what we have need of before we pray. But when we put him first and seek his will... In his agenda, he says all of these things will be taken care of. So don't worry about it. Now, let me talk to you about another aspect of prayer. It's called waiting. How many of you know that waiting is part of prayer? It's actually a very important part of prayer. Now, of course, waiting is not a very popular thing in our culture because we belong in a culture where we're very impatient. Last week I was, um, I was having lunch and I was um, heating something up in the microwave like, for three minutes. When you're hungry, three minutes is like three hours. <laughs> come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, let's go, I'm hungry. That's the culture we live in. We want things done right away. But sometimes it's going to require us waiting when we're praying. Now, we understand what the word says. It says, if we ask anything in his name, he will give it to us. He says, we ask and we will receive. It also says that we have not because we ask not. But sometimes, even though we've asked, even though we've, we've uh, prayed in the name of Jesus... Sometimes we still don't see results. And there are many reasons for that. The more obvious reason is there may be sin in your life. Okay, I didn't hear an amen there. <laughs> the Bible says those that, uh, that harbor iniquity in their hearts, said the Lord will not hear you. It also could be that maybe you're asking God and praying to God for the wrong motives. James chapter 4 says, you ask, but you ask amiss. So maybe that's the reason why you're not receiving anything from God. Maybe you're lacking faith. James chapter 1 and verse 5 says that if any man lack wisdom, he says, let him ask of God, who gives liberally. But he says this, but let him ask in faith without doubting. He says, for the one who doubts is like a surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. So maybe that's the hang-up. Maybe that's the reason why you've not heard from God. Maybe that's because your prayers are not being answered. But let's say you, you have no sin in your life. Let's say that you are praying the perfect will of God. Let's say that you are praying in faith and you still have not received anything. Well, there's another reason that we need to think about. Because we have a God who, like a father, determines that it is our best interest to wait. How many of you have children who who asking you for things and you know that they weren't quite ready to, to have those things? Maybe because they're too young. Maybe because they're still a little mature. Maybe they're still learning to be a little more responsible. And just, just As a father and as a parent, you're not just going to just give the keys to your car to a 10-year-old. The child is not ready. Let me give you another example. A person praying for a marriage partner, but you're not quite ready for marriage. It's okay to, to, to pray to, uh, to God for a, for a marriage partner, but perhaps maybe you're just not ready for marriage. Or perhaps maybe you feel a call in your life for full-time ministry, but maybe you're just not quite ready to tackle the responsibility of full-time ministry. So God, as a father, knows what's best for us, and sometimes it requires us to wait. 
Because you see, waiting is a process. Because in the process of waiting, there's growth. There's maturity. Moses learned that the hard way. He was called of God and he knew it. But he got ahead of God and messed things up and set himself back 40 years. But in those 40 years was a preparation time. It was a time of preparation, time of growth. And so when the season was ready, then God called Moses to do one of the wonderful things in ministry. And that's to deliver God's people. So we need to think about that. Perhaps maybe you're just not ready. And so it's, it's your best interest to wait. But that doesn't mean that God is not going to answer your prayer. It just means there's a process of time. There's a time for growth. There's a time for preparation. Then there's another reason why we have to wait. There's another reason why we perhaps not receive from God. There's a story about a woman who had lost a very valuable diamond pin at the opera. And so the next day she called the, the opera house and says, Sir, I lost my, a very valuable pin. Would you be able to find it? And the man says, Wait, just, just wait on the line. I'll be right back. I'm going to see if I can find it. Well, after a time, he found the brooch. And he went back to tell the woman we found it. But the woman hung up. So he waited a few minutes expecting the woman to call back, but she never called back. So he put a notice on the paper to hope, hopefully he'd get a response, but he never got a response. Now you might be thinking, wow, I mean, this woman called because she had a very expensive, uh, valuable diamond pin, and she called expecting to, you know, to see if it was there, and she didn't even call back. She didn't even wait on the line. She, she must be crazy. But isn't that how so many of us pray? Where we go before the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, we need this, Lord. Help us in this area. But yet we don't wait long enough for God to do what he needs to do. We don't hang on the line long enough for God to come in and, and come through for us. We say, Lord, you're taking too long. Man, you know what? This is not working. Maybe God doesn't want me to have this. Maybe we just determine that. We, you know, we just decide, okay, well, this is, what, this is the way it is. And God's not going to answer my prayer. Rather than just holding on and waiting until the Lord comes through. See, waiting's not easy. How many of you know that? Yeah. Waiting is not easy. I don't like to wait, but I learn to be patient sometimes. But sometimes we need to wait on the Lord. If we know we're praying the perfect will of God, if we know we're praying in faith, if we know that there is no sin in our lives, if, if we know that... that Everything is right, our heart is right, and we still haven't received anything. Hang in there. Wait on the Lord. Wait for God. He's still not done. Go to Isaiah chapter 64. You know, when I was preparing this the other night, God had reminded me, going back when I was a young Christian, some of the significant things that occurred in my life as a result of perseverance in prayer. You know, when you first get saved, and, and it's, it's interesting because you get saved and you have this wonderful joy because you found something. At the same time, you're in the fire trying to get out. And for a young Christian still learning the, the, the Christian journey, that was very hard for me. I thank God for sending, uh, uh, he had a couple of seasoned men of God that was with me to help me, to mentor me, and to help me see me through the very difficult times. And I can remember how I prayed, and I can remember the tears. I can remember how sometimes I felt like, God, this is not going to change. Lord, you're not going to do anything here, Lord. I, I, I'm tired of this, Lord. But I saw God come through as I waited. And you know what? It wasn't easy to wait. There were times when I wanted to quit. There were times when I just wanted to throw it up in the air and say, you know, this Christian life is, is, is not going to work for me. But I hung in there, and I stayed, and I continued to do the things that I knew to do, going to church, praying, reading my Bible, going to Bible studies, just busying myself and just be and enjoying the things of God until God had delivered me. Now, I waited quite a while, but God had delivered me. You know, it's um, this young woman who had been praying for a husband. And, you know, she wanted a, a, a husband and she wanted a family like most women do. And she prayed, but she wasn't consumed by it. 
because she was just happy and content just going to church. Every time the doors were open, she'd go to church and serve God in any way that she could. And she continued to pray and believe in God and not even worried about it. And every once in a while, she might think about it. But you know what? She was just so happy, just content. And you know what? At the time, she wasn't quite ready to have a relationship. But then one day, when she least expected it, a husband came. But she wasn't even aware of it. God had to tap her on the shoulder and say, hey, remember the husband you were praying for? He's right here. <laughs> right underneath your nose. That woman was my wife. <laughs> what can I say? The rest is all history. But I remember that it wasn't as easy for me as it was for her. Because I knew she was the wife for me. And I agonized in prayer. So, Lord, when? Lord, when do I ask her out? Lord, she's not even paying attention to me. Lord, I don't think she loves me. Lord, what's wrong with her? I'm just being honest. But, you know, I was a young Christian, so I didn't know any better. I was still learning the ropes. But I continued to wait and would not make a move until I knew God was ready. And, you know, it's interesting when you wait on the Lord, God will open up the doors that wasn't there, and you know that it's the right thing. And that's how it happened with us. We knew it was the right thing, but we waited. So... A lot to be said about waiting on the Lord. Listen to me. In Isaiah 64, are you there? Listen to what it says. Verse 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waits on him. Let me read that to you from the Amplified Version. For from the old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, nor has seen, I have seen a God beside you. In other words, no one has heard or seen a God like you since the beginning of time. And then goes on and says, what he has prepared for him that waits for him. Now the word prepare is a Hebrew word, asah, which comes from the root word to do or to make. In the broadest sense, it means to accomplish, to appoint, to bring forth, to be busy, to execute, to exercise, to fashion, to fulfill, to finish, to work, or to be industrious, to labor, to furnish, or to finish, and to be occupied. The sense here is this. It says what he has prepared or what he has accomplished, what he's appointed, what he is bringing forth, what he is executing, while he is exercising, while he is shaping, while he is fashioning, while he's busy fulfilling, while he's laboring, while he's furnishing, while he's working, while he's occupying, and while he's being industrious as we wait. In other words... While we're waiting, God is not sitting around doing nothing. But he is busy accomplishing. He is busy appointing. He is bring, uh, busy bringing forth. He is busy executing and exercising and shaping and fashioning your answer to your prayers. So if we hang in there just a little bit longer and know that God is just not sitting around, but he's exercising, he's executing, he's fashioning, he's shaping as we wait, God will eventually come through in his season. Hallelujah. Listen. As I get ready to close. We know that Nehemiah prayed when he heard the bad news of the condition of Jerusalem and the people that were there. And he prayed, the Bible says, he wept and he mourned for days. And he fasted and prayed. But it wasn't until four months later when God not only opened the doors for him to go back to Jerusalem, but God also provided provisions. God had given him the authority. God provided protection. God had given him manpower to complete the job that he set out to do. But he waited four months. God could come through for him. Daniel prayed for 21 days before he heard from God. But he continued to pray and he hung in there. 
until God came through. Listen. I know there are some of you who are still waiting for God to come through for you. But I have a verse for you that I hope will encourage you. Psalm 104. Why don't you go there real quick? Psalm 104. There's some of you that have been waiting and waiting. But God is shaping and exercising and executing while you're waiting. He's going to make this happen. Whatever your prayers are, if it's according to the will of God, it's going to make it happen. Psalm 104, beginning verse 27. They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You give to them, they gather it up, you open your hand, and they are satisfied with good. Psalm 145 in verse 15 says, Let the eyes of all wait upon you, and you, God, give them their meat in due season. In other words, your meat is due. As you wait on the Lord, in due season, you're going to receive what you ask for. So I want you to say this with me. My season of blessings are on the way. My season of blessings around the corner. So I want you to hang in there. Continue to pray. Be nonstop. Have this attitude. I'm not going to quit until I see my prayers answered. I'm going to be like the persistent widow woman. I'm going to continue to go before God. And I'm going to pray and continue. And I'm going to thank God until God comes through. Until your due season is here. Amen. Do you believe that? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for meeting every need, Father God. We thank you, Father God, for stirring up in us, Lord God, a spirit of prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for raising a spirit of earnestness and fervency, Lord God, to pray. Father, there's a strong desire in our hearts to pray and to prioritize our prayer above everything else in life. Father, we thank you, Lord, that from this day forth, Father God, we're not going to stop praying. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we're going to stand and having done all to stand. Father, we, we thank you, Father God, that no matter what we see, no matter how bad things look, no matter how long it takes, Father, we're going to stand and we're going to continue to stand praying until our due season comes. Father, we thank you, Father, that you're exercising, fashioning, working, building. Father God, everything that we need behind the scenes, powerfully and supernaturally, Father God, until our due season is here. So, Father, we thank you in advance for our answered prayers. We thank you in advance, Father, for the season of blessings that are coming our way. And for this, we thank you, Father God. Whatever it may be, whether a clear direction, whether it's a spouse, Father God, whether it's a financial security, Father God, whatever it may be, Father, we thank you that the answer is on the way because we are determined to stand and we are determined not to run or quit. And Lord, for this we thank you. And we give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray.